0: Welcome to another episode of It Should Go Without Saying, the sports podcast, all sports all the time. I'm your host, Andrew Lewis, uh, coming back from a couple of weeks off, and I've got Cameron McDonald, our resident cricket expert on the line. How are you doing, Cameron?
1: Good to be here, partner.
0: The reason for the delay was uh, I needed a good week to get over that. Oh, unbelievable. <laughs> I don't know how I didn't wake everyone up in the house.
1: <laughs> yeah, well yeah. I mean fortunately the cricketers have a week to get over it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Not not one thirty is not normally a time of night where I'm up till. So to to go through to right through and uh just watch the whole game. Just there was just, a um yes, there, was a a, as a,
1: as a, there was a feeling at um just after lunch, that uh, that we wouldn't be staying awake for too long, you know. They, they were going down consistently, and then, you know, and you thought, well, this is going to be entertaining because Stokes is going to have a red hot crack at this, and uh, and then he'll get out swinging, and and we'll we'll be in bed by, I don't know. What were you thinking? I was thinking it couldn't go, couldn't really go past midnight at one stage. And then, as Jared Waitley described it, you know, even when, even when it was done, I couldn't sleep at that point. You know, you just had adrenaline coursing through your veins and that sort of bitter, like too many coffees feeling of a test match that slipped through your fingers.
0: I, uh, I, I couldn't turn my brain off. And yeah. I'm pretty good at that.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> and if we uh, couldn't turn our brains off, how's, uh, how are Mrs. Payne and Harris and Nathan Lyon feeling?
0: Yeah, well, we'll get to them later, but I guess the big story, the positive story out of the match was that innings by Ben Stokes. Um, Where does that rank in in terms of the great all-time test hundreds in your mind? Uh, I mean, it's so easy to just
1: call the most recent one you saw the best one, you know. I mean, famously, I texted you when Bancroft took that catch in the first test and went that, that rates right up there and you immediately rattled off one that Boone had taken um, as Ali Lee, was it, or something like that with, with the reflexes were just freakish. And I was like, you're right. That is better than Bancroft. And, um, but, you know, with a bit of time to digest this, it's right up there. But as a lot of, you know, far greater cricket experts than I have pointed out, there was, something new world about this. This innings couldn't have existed um, in another era. They talk about, um, you know, the, the prior uh, Headingley Nightmare, uh, Ian Botham wreaking havoc and playing a wild innings for that time, but he played cricket shots. And we're going to have to revisit this innings in, in years to come and go, you know, these, we have to tell our kids that these strokes were so new to the game these reverse sweeps um, for six and the ramp off Cummins, and it, it was explosive batting. And, and it, you sort of have, like, with, with that many on the ring, there was keeper and slip and the rest on the ring. And, uh, sorry, on the, on the boundary. Um, and that's just, it's not uh, an effective field anymore because these guys can pick the gaps and the bats mean that the grounds are too small which was the text going around in all of our threads that were just like, he's just he knows if he gets it anywhere near the middle of the bat, it's not a risk, so he's not trying to overhit it. The amount of balls that just cleared long off, and you're thinking, "Geez, he's lucky here." It wasn't. It was calculated. It was brilliant. Everyone, uh, every one of the
0: uh, eight sixes he hit went exactly where he meant them to. I yeah, uh, I remember. I certainly texted you and made a point that. In my mind, the MCG and Maranakarova, which is a, a sneaky big ground, were probably the only two Test venues that would have held him in that sort of mood. Yeah, I mean, yeah,
1: um, and I mean the World Cup final. We we've got recent history here to go by, where he just there's there's a zone that he gets into, where at which point it's it's a weird one with some of these all-rounders because the numbers never seem to suggest just how good they. They were and are, um, but when they are going and when they are, when they are dominating in the way that Stokes dominated that Test match from the moment he came on to bowl in the second innings, really, um, where they are easily the best cricketers in the world. Um, and it, it's why we've had this fascination with, you know, since Flintoff, um, who was also the best cricketer in the world in that moment. You don't think of Flintoff in that way as a retired cricketer but in that in that Ashes series he was without a doubt the best cricketer in the world. He yeah. somehow roused spells of 150 k's an hour out of himself when that wasn't really who he was. Yeah. And he, and he was making really quick runs in the middle order and he was so explosive. And he picked that whole side up the way that Botham did before him and that's why our attention turns to Mitch Marsh and to any, anyone who can fill that void. We have a desperation for someone who can fill that void and carry the country with them. But um,
0: we've, ne- we've never found it. I mean, no. I, I, I think with all due respect to Richie Benno, um, who was, I think, if you wanted to compare him in terms of the type of all-rounder he was to a modern-day cricketer, he was closer to Mitch Johnson than Ian Botham. Yeah. yeah. Handy, handy with the bat could certainly make 100. We've only ever really had Keith Miller in terms of a genuine could play as a top six batsman or a or a bowler in his own right.
1: Well, spot on. and, and But, it, you know, in many ways, we need to revisit the numbers of Shane Watson and forgive him a little because if you consider his numbers as a pure all-rounder, he was actually an extremely handy cricketer. But we were holding him because he, because he didn't bowl as much as he perhaps should have, despite a couple of 5 fers at Lords against uh, Pakistan. He, you know, his numbers are very, very good. He was just, we thought of him that he had to open the batting um, because no one else was going to do the job or he had to bat three and do really well at it because he wasn't bowling. But really, the numbers at the end of
0: his career stack up really well. He's, he's not the only Australian all-rounder in the last 15 years who they've misused. And oh, we I, misused. I I, yeah. I flogged, this dead, I flogged this horse pretty often, but Glenn Maxwell has, when he's found himself in the test team, has been asked to do things which he cannot do or should not be asked to do. I Correct. Think it's to his detriment. And that, and for other reasons, is why he, you know, Glenn Maxwell should have played 50 tests. and. I'm I'm not gonna argue about that. Find me on Twitter just don't at me.
1: Um, <laughs> well so to answer your
0: question, to answer
1: your question, Panna, it was it was an extraordinary innings. I, I you know, you throw the situation in there, you 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 throw all of it in there, everything in the mix and a and a team faltering around you, uh, I can't think of anything like it.
0: And um I think across you know, the Across the whole four days, I think we've seen test players play a better test match, but I'm not sure we've ever seen a single player contribute so much to a victory.
1: Yeah. Extraordinarily, we've had each test match has been, somebody has owned that test match completely. You know, Steve Smith completely owned the first test, and then Jofra Archer just exploded onto the scene at Lord's to be front-page news throughout Britain as a potential saviour. And really, he was standing there in the middle order and, in fact, made 100 in his own right in that second Test match. Um, but the, the third Test match will always be Ben Stokes' game.
0: The other thing I'd say about England, historically, all their great teams have been built about great all-rounders. And, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm thinking from Tony Gregg to Ian Botham to Freddie Flintoff to Ben Stokes... When they, and they've made mistakes trying to replicate that with guys like Chris Lewis or Craig White or, think, or people like that when that, that yeah. they have that quality. But it seems reasonable because if they don't have that all-rounder who's absolutely world-class, they just are a completely different proposition in terms of trying to win a test series against them, especially in England.
1: And it's why they've been a it's why they've been a fluky test side because they've never been the, they've never had the best batting lineup in the world. But when their all rounder is firing on all, all cylinders, they're still going to make runs and make them quickly. Uh, and yeah, arguably outside of England, they've they've never had the best bowling lineup in the world either, really, and um or in my lifetime. But um but you throw a genuine all rounder who can who can bowl. How many overs did he bowl in that second inning? I think he bowled 21 overs in succession yeah. from one end. And as a pace bowler, you are you are driving yourself into the dirt doing that, and you've got no right to make runs as well.
0: The guy has a heart the size of a lion. Yeah. Enough about the positives, I guess, out of that game. I want to read you a horror story. And that is, I was born in 1980. In since then. Australia have played in 11 test losses of 20 runs or fewer. Out of 26 of those circumstances happening all time in the history of test cricket, 11 have happened to Australia in the last 40 years and have played in four one-wicket losses in the last, last 25 years, out of which it's only ever happened 14 times in test cricket. This is who we are if we get into you a, know to a close test match we're going to lose
1: yeah it's um it's very difficult to argue and it i'm really glad the stats back it up because occasionally i i say something that i hope will be backed up by statistics and i just couldn't be more wrong but we we just it feels like we always lose the close one in the cricket and it feels like it it shouldn't be who we are as a cricketing nation, that we seemingly have had, you know, tough cricketers. And I can think back to that um, Langer and Gilchrist partnership in Langer's second game, but we won the game comfortably. If the pressure really, really goes on, uh, we, we tend to crumble. Famously, a couple of losses in India um, come to mind, but we lose from seemingly unlosable positions. That's the way it feels.
0: I think, I think with that with that Gilchrist one and and Langer and Gilchrist second game, uh, five for one hundred and twenty four chasing three hundred and sixty nine, which I think was the third or was the third or fourth highest successful run chase in history at the time. I just think they felt like they had nothing to lose, and Gilchrist was that hot at that time. Um, you know, he's playing a second test, and he just thinks, well, what's the worst that can happen? We're going to lose anyway.
1: Yes. It was a hail mary. It was a hail mary, but you, but I suspect the same stuff would have crept in if Langer or Gilchrist went out with a hundred to get. But Langer got out, you know, when the victory was in sight. We only needed twenty. You know, they couldn't mess it up from there. And a couple of lusty blows from Gilchrist got the job done. But as soon as some pressure is on a chase, I feel we'll go to water, whether we're chasing one hundred and twenty or three hundred and fifty. I
0: have the story about that day I was at I was in my second year of university I was doing like an end of term paper and finishing it off and sitting in my computer in my room with my television on next to it and I just as the as the day went longer there was less time looking at the computer and more time looking at the television yeah but when 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 the current Australian cricket coach Justin Langer uh, shuffles off this mortal call don't have a funeral just show that just show that innings just, just show, like it is just show him getting hit in the head by show of actor and getting up and smiling at him.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can think of the exact moment. I've heard Gilchrist talk about it too, and um, Gilchrist speaks about the the grin coming back, and it sort of looked like show, but knocked
0: a couple of teeth
1: out because he was he was missing one or two. It's um, just
0: you were actor, and you thought, "I've got this guy now. I've hit him in the head." And suddenly you see him looking back at you like, that's what I want you to do to me. I couldn't be enjoying myself. You just think, well, what do I do now? Yeah, yeah. I don't think Shaw was the mentally toughest cricketer. So it was absolutely the right response, even if it was totally non-calculated, it wasn't. But, you know, that just, Akhtar would have been defeated at that point because, you you know, the shoulders would have slumped.
1: Yeah, and it's it's actually... um... I've taken some heart from listening to Steve Smith uh, talk about playing in the next test match and talk about getting hit and, and obviously, you know, in this climate in, and getting hit, you know, conjured memories of uh, for all of us of Phil Hughes. To hear him speak now uh, about Jofra and about that bouncer and about, you know, the, the way he's just burst onto the scene and stuff like that, Smith just says, well, he hasn't got me out yet. He knocked me out, but he hasn't got me out. And he's There's... still not batting with that guard on because he doesn't feel comfortable and he just wants to get back out there and have a hit. And so any fears for me of of potentially a, a Kemar Roach haunting kind of circumstance where Ponting was never really the same again? They've been allayed a little bit by hearing him speak. Uh,
0: I don't know how I feel exactly about the Archersmith stuff. There's a part of me that, feels a little uneasy about the fact that Smith was sort of, he wasn't sort of, he was taken out of the third test. And considering how close the game was, it's not a long bow to draw to suggest that Australia would have won the test and therefore retained the Ashes if Steve Smith had played. But if Smith had played, then he probably would have played instead of Labashane. And um, a few weeks ago when we had our first podcast, I was suggesting that Labashane should have played. And that's been borne out. My predictions about others not so much but um... Well interestingly it
1: looks like what they're considering for this next test and I'm sure we'll get to that down the line but you have to play Labuschagne and you have to play Smith. Those things are not uh, queries but it looks like it was Labuschagne versus Wade for the first test match and Wade's the only other bloke out there to have made 100 so but all three might play in the next one.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll get to predictions for the last two tests a little bit later on. Just finishing up Australia in close tests. I think Australia's problem, Australian cricket problem, is we're the overdog. We like being we like we like being in front. We like pushing people around on our own deck. And even if it's not the ugly Australians or anything like that, I just think we like putting the task batting, put a whole ton of runs on the, on the first day and putting the pressure on the opposition. And that's, you know, we also have a pretty strong record in the last probably 10 to 15 years of not being able to save test matches when we're under the pump, just being able to bat time. So I think that all feeds into that and I, I, don't, I don't think it's a quick fix.
1: There is an element of, you know, as us at least being in those games and not being blown off the park. And so part of, part of me wonders how many of those test matches, even though I feel like I've watched us lose so many close ones, we, we were the dominant team and got beaten by Ben Stokes in that test match without Steve Smith. And so it won't get spoken about, but some of these close finishes, well, at least they were close. We're not, we weren't getting blown off
0: the park. I mean, that's, that's true, the 2009 Ashes was pretty close, and I don't think too many people remember that we actually had the better batting and bowling average. And if we won the first test, but you know, in Cardiff, but they managed to save the test match. And you know, yeah, I that's think right. we saved the test match at Lords, but that was always an uphill battle to get a result. I, yeah. it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how the last two test matches play out. There's been a lot of discussion about how. Tim Payne performed in his various roles in the third test. I'll throw open the floor and ask you for your thoughts before I come in off the long run.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm ready. I'm sort of ready for that because again, there were a few text messages exchanged in the aftermath of what was the, the, you know, what really went out of the box. I, I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So potentially it's better that you go first here. Payne, Got a lot of stuff wrong on that last day, and the, the one I can't forgive. Everybody having a go at Joel Wilson for getting that LBW decision wrong has not watched Joel Wilson umpire. He has not got any LBWs right, so to begin to criticise him for that one in particular is just you know it's just the wrong thing to do. And if you and if and knowing that Joel Wilson cannot umpire, don't let him umpire. Keep your <laughs> reviews up your sleeve. The, the, Hail Mary, I will never understand the use of a Hail Mary DRS for as long as I live, and nobody at the cricket ground thought that leach was out LBW to Pat Cummins. It was missing another set. It was an awful, awful use of DRS and and that's the mistake I can't really forgive. However, like the the you know international DRS usage statistics are pretty dreadful, um, no matter what. No one's really going at above thirty percent, and Australia's wallowing down at twenty-three percent or something like that. Too much emotion is used in those moments, and it should be taken off the captain and given to whoever's got ice going through their veins, because there should be no emotion at all going into those decisions. And that was a really dreadful one—one one I can't forgive. Don't you However, want the
0: person who has? Don't you want the person who has ice going through their veins to be the captain?
1: Yeah, well, that's that's a good point. Um, but you know, in many ways, I think at least in this current climate, you know, leading up to Sandpaper Gate, you, the requirement was to be the the bloke that's definitely getting picked will be the captain. And following Sandpaper Gate, I I'm in the camp that Tim Payne has done a lot right. That this is the most tumultuous time in Australian cricket just about, and that he he's responsible for leading a team. The right way, Australian cricketers were loathed in the lead-up to Sandpaper Gate. It, it, something had to give, and and I think with Tim Payne in charge, we're we're less likely. The way he fronted the media following a loss like that, the, the sort of calculated and friendly approach he had to that press conference tells me that we're still right in this series, and that you know we are by the numbers. We are we. We've been in a position to win each test match, which you would take in England. I, I fully expected us to get blown off the park at least once. England had the best use of the conditions in that test match and nearly fritted them all away the before some heroics by Ben Stokes when the pitch had flattened out something crazy. So, okay. I mean, the proof, the proof will be in the pudding because I think... Payne now leads us into a a two-test series, essentially, where we only need to win one of them. And we've been in a position to win in both test matches and we get our best batsman back. So the proof will be in the pudding. If we win the Ashes or retain them at the very least, he's done his job and he likely retires off the back of this series regardless. So I think his legacy is quite strong, despite the fact that his captaincy, and
0: particularly in that last hour, was poor. I hope you're right. I don't wish ill on Tim Payne and he's going to be captain for the rest of the series. So that's fine. I want to, at first, do a little bit of a defense of Joel Wilson. Yes, I don't think he's up to it, but I don't think that last decision was Alim Dar not giving Stuart Broad out for middling it to first slip. Yeah. I, don't think, I don't think it was that sort of a no, you don't get to do this anymore if you make that mistake. Mistake. and not saying Joel Wilson hadn't made that mistake in the first test. The DRS mistake, that's the worst DRS review I've ever seen. The only one I can think of that was like it was Pakistan reviewing a court behind against Australia at the MCG a couple of years ago when Warner missed it by about six inches. And, there's, <laughs> and it, you could see daylight between the bat and the ball. I'm <laughs> a... Anyway. Like McC- I'm a critic of the DRS system. I think there should be drastic changes made to it. I think teams should get one review per one unsuccessful review per innings. I don't think the predictive parts of the Hawkeye should be used at all. I think the Hawkeye should be used for did it pitch in line, did it hit him in line, and that's it. And I also think teams should ap- should approach it differently. You shouldn't appeal an LBW decision if you've been given out as a batsman unless you know you hit it. That sort of thing. But that Pat Cummins review was, as far as I'm concerned, of the same level of you should know better as a mistake as Allen does umpiring mistake six years ago. And it it effectively cost us the match because Stokes was out. But that was you said that he did. Payne umpired the first hour, the last hour, Paulie. I think he, I, umpired, sorry, captained the first hour, Paulie. I think he barely put a foot right all of that day. I think he, I think he stuck with the quick bowlers for an over too long in the first session on a couple of occasions. Um, he didn't go to Labochain early enough. Uh, the, the, the derisory over before lunch, if we can fit it in. Um, I think he had a decent patch after lunch when he probably had time to think about it and discuss who he was going to bring on after lunch with with the coaching staff. And then I never would have taken Lyon off because Nathan Lyon was always the person who was going to get Stokes out. And at that stage, you've got to grit the teeth. And Lyon, in effect, did. So for all of that, I just thought it was almost... It was pretty much a disqualifying performance as a captain. And... You know, I've had a good four or five days to cool down and I'm still not cooled down about it.
1: So uh, the, uh, the only thing I'll say is that I I don't believe that necessarily Tim Payne is just going with what he thinks should happen on the field in this era. I think he's been quite remarkable at fronting up and being the face of the team in the new era post-Sandpaper Gate. But I also think that he's drawing on advice left, right and centre, most notably from Smith in a couple of test matches, which is making the um, British press, because they don't feel that Smith should be allowed to advise Payne if he
0: can't be the captain. But maybe he shouldn't be allowed to talk. I mean, he's on the field. Payne's allowed to ask him a question and Smith's allowed to answer it. So I'm with, I'm with you 100%. Like It's, it's ridiculous. and
1: far be it for the British press to draw a long bow (laughs) but um, yeah I I don't know I, I think he I think he's seeking guidance wherever he can get it and I think that he he is the man to lead Australia because he's not connected to that really dark day in our history and he's done a really incredible job at a time when our cricket could have fallen off the face of the earth it could have been we could have been absolutely in the toilet at this point but we've found a way to go pretty well at the World Cup, about as well as could have been expected, and where we've been in a winning position in each Test match, and where we don't appear to be hated. Uh, there's, been a, there's been a smile on our face for most of this tour, despite some, you know, some real adversity. And so I'm not having that if all these decisions were pains and pains alone, I think we all lost control of that Test match, and a great captain would probably bring us back from that. I'm not suggesting that he's a great cricket captain. But if he but his legacy will be so so intact based on expectation if we find a way to win this test match. With this with sorry, this test series, with this cobbled together group of Australians that seem to be playing with a great deal of spirit and finding their ways to winning position day four and five where, you know, teams with a lot more talent in the past have failed to do that.
0: Who do you think
1: are uh, the great Australian captains of your lifetime? I think Mark Taylor is the best captain, but they all they all brought something a little different, didn't they? Like I don't think the Steve War era is possible without the Mark Taylor era, like and the Taylor era is not possible without the border era, and the border era is not possible without Alan Border, basically he He grit his teeth and got us through a, a really difficult time. Um, but I don't think I saw the best of him as a batsman. Taylor turned us into an impeccable team and I think tactically was was the best captain to the point where he, he continued to get picked when he couldn't bat anymore. And then Steve Waugh took over a side that was ready to dominate world cricket, and Julie did, and he was very aggressive. And I think I, I think I have them as... Taylor first. I thought Michael Clark was an excellent captain, but just that eventually, perhaps not everybody liked him all that much, but tactically, I thought he was very astute. Ponting won a lot of games of cricket, but I reckon I could nearly have captained that side. Um, How do you have it?
0: I have... Clark was good. Uh, I think his fault as a captain was he was a little impatient at times, which is probably the opposite of Tim Payne's problem on the fourth morning. And I think Mark Taylor was great, and that's it. Um, yeah. and, I, and I'll tell you, in that when Bairstow came out, and Bestow changed the game a little bit before Stokes did, Take away from Stokes' first hundred balls where he might have scored 10 runs, he, he stayed in, and it was, you know, let's not underplay the entirety of Stokes' innings and the journey that was just an incredible determination to be there at the end. But yeah. Mark Taylor, after about two hours of Stowe positivity, with the side that Mark Taylor had, would have thrown the ball to Greg Blewett or Damian Martin and said, bowl at the stumps. And he would have got Stowe And it would have been all – and that's what needed to happen. The ball should have been thrown to Dave Warner to bowl his medium paces, or Matthew Wade, and just say bowl at the stumps. It doesn't work for two overs. We're still 150 runs ahead, but get this guy out. And I just think, and another guy you said who would have been really handy in terms of a skill set, Shane Watson would have been would have been very handy in that Test match in terms yeah. of bowling stump to stump. Besto gets bowled or LBW all the time, and they just yeah. they kept bowling in the channel. Well,
1: any any one bowler who who brings that, you know, this was the one time the attack we came in with an attack that um had a, plenty of threat but not a lot of um not a lot of workhorse, you know. We we Siddle doesn't play, you know, Nisa by all reports is that type of bowler and Mitch Marsh doesn't play who's who is a stump to stump bowler and tough to get away. So we were missing that element of our attack on the last
0: day. Mitch Marsh has never had that moment, though. He's never had that 5 for. He's never had that spell where he's changed a test match. I mean, I, I think at this stage, as ridiculous as it sounds, Mitch Marsh's uh, test legacy is a batsman who can bowl a bit.
1: Yeah. I think he's got that talent as a bowler. I don't know what the stats say, but I but he's taken some important wickets for Australia that I can recall. But you're right, he's not... He's not a devastating bowler, but he is a stump-to-stump bowler. He's the guy who would have done the job that you were asking of Matthew Wade, who yeah. is um, who is not Greg Blewett.
0: Yeah. I mean, Greg Blewett was a little bit better than Damian Martin. I think if Greg Blewett had played 100 tests, he probably would have ended up having close to 50 wickets if he'd been – he was he was a handy bowler. He was the sort of guy who could bowl 10 overs in a one-day match every other game. He could- Definitely,
1: and he could Sorry. make it hoop. I recall him really swinging the ball. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. I, I think I know, you lose a test match by a wicket, there's all sorts of things you could have done differently that would have changed the test match. But I think if they had had Siddle in the side, so if they hadn't have changed the bowling lineup and kept Siddle in instead of Patterson, uh, I think they probably would have won the match because I think Payne would have thrown the ball to Siddle and the runs would have just stopped.
1: And equally, if we'd had
0: Siddle, perhaps you don't
1: roll them for 67 you know, that, that was astonishing in the first innings and was only possible because there was no let-up in the, the pace bowling barrage. You know, when the conditions were supposed to have been a lot easier for batting, uh, it says something about Australia's batting that we only made 250-odd in our second dig when really that had flattened out to a 350 type of pitch. And if we get 350, there's, there's no heroics at all.
0: Fair enough. I mean, there was some excellent bowling from both sides in that game. I don't think Travis Head will ever get a better ball than the nut he got in the first innings. That, oh, was, yeah.
1: that was insanely good. Yeah, and Broad deserved it. He'd he'd had the better of all the batsmen that morning.
0: Stuart Broad deserves nothing but disappointment and woe, Cameron. <laughs> and I won't <laughs> argue about this. The guy's a, the guy's a drop king. Yeah, yeah. He and Yes, and I was very happy when he, you know, did the uh, old Matador batting effort and just sort of got his pad in the way. one and then reviewed. I mean, I was very he was happy. Never he's never was, out. He's never out. There's a bit of talk. As we move on to the next two test matches coming up, there's a bit of talk that Australia are being tempted by the idea of playing Mitchell Stark. Um, I'm not sure how he's going in the tour match at the moment, but... I'd be I'd be going back to Siddle with with Hazelwood and Cummins myself.
1: Yeah, I definitely think I definitely think Paddo is the one in trouble. Um, you know, Hazelwood is, has had a fantastic Test match. Interestingly, Niza nicked off the top three in that tour match overnight, and then Stark came on and bowled a pretty devastating Stark lower order over in which he took three for none. But his new ball bowling was neither here nor there. It was a pretty flat surface by all reports. So, I don't know.
0: I don't know how to pick this side. It's very hard to pick a fast bowler whose sole job is to get the tail out. Because you've got to... It you're is. doing a lot of the work. Spinner's different story, and that's how Nathan Lyon got his start on the team, and he's better than that now. But I just... I, it would be interesting if Michael Neeser gets picked. There's a wonderful long ast- a history of Australian fast bowlers being picked for a test match in England and never being seen again. I just hope it would if he does get picked it's not him. So but
1: He's or- pretty young, isn't he? Niesa? I think so. And he's got that, um I don't know, he's got a he's got a good temperament for cricket. He can hold a bat. He bowls well in English conditions. He's bowled well in every game and they can't lay a a bat on him in the net by all reports. So it would be an interesting selection, but he would do the job that Siddles doing. I don't know. Like like we said before on our previous podcast, there's an element to Boxing Smart about this that I just want to let them pick the attack and then enjoy it because they've got it right every time, just about. Like I say, we've been in a winning position in every Test match. Um, England's batting, for the most part, is not great. You can certainly put them under pressure and all the bowlers who've been picked have done the job they've been asked to do, maybe with the exception of Pattinson in this last test. Well, I mean, England are going to
0: make a change, I would imagine, for the fourth test at the top of the order. Can't see them continuing to persist with Roy. Surely they can find some other opening batsman or jiggle the order or something like that. Yes, I, I
1: think I think I've I've heard I mean, I know a lot of people think that they've, the top four is right in the wrong order. Uh, a lot of people are advocating for um, Burns, Denley, Root, Roy. I don't
0: necessarily think that if you... Well, they've got a bit of a history of that, but, you know, Joe Root's opened the batting for a while on the Test side. Michael Vaughan did it and they both ended up at number four, but it just seems like that's not where you stick someone who's failing at opening. I mean... I think you're more likely to send in a number six if you're going to keep him in the side. And they swapped the order. They had Butler at seven and Bairstow at six. They're, they've already started jiggling things around. It is a sign that things are starting to get a little bit ragged for them. I know they got out of jail on that test match, but this is the sort of thing I think of the Australian teams over the years and rejigging the order. And it's something that, in my memory, only if it ha- tends to happen on tour. It doesn't tend to happen at home. And England are at home. They could put yeah. The next best specialist opening back.
1: Yeah, but they don't. They don't know where that person is. Um, during, I was listening to some ABC coverage on my way home from work one night, and Vaughn was in the commentary box talking about the county results and the the potential, the openers in the right age bracket. Their results that morning, you know, there were they were all single figure scores, and he was sort of laughing about it because it was long before England were any chance in the test match. And he was saying, no one's coming from the outside to fix this, which is where that fighting 50 from Denley in the second innings. perhaps he has a slightly better technique against the new ball, although he still looked like a walking wicket for uh, a chunk of that inning. But Roy certainly can't open in this, in this side anymore. Um, you would be better off picking another bowler.
0: When you say Denley has a better technique against the new ball, a better technique against the new ball and the spinning ball or a better new technique against the new ball than
1: Roy? Jason Roy. Uh, yes.
0: Okay. Uh, uh, no, I,
1: I don't necessarily think he's the answer long term, but it's that because they must be desperate for Roy to come off in the test side based on just the talent this guy has and the way, you know, if, they end, if this test side ended up working for England, if they somehow figured out how to make it work, then it four, five, six, and seven, you've got guys that can take it away from you completely, which sort of is why their one-day side has been so successful because you only need one of them to do that. Yeah. Uh, And and maybe bat with root for a couple of hours and they're going to get their 300. But, yeah, I mean, quality test bowling is sorting them out, most of them. Stokes is very good technically.
0: If your best batsman has moved himself up to number three, and with all due respect to Ben Stokes, Joe Root probably still is their best batsman. Yeah. Uh, you can't run, you can't play a pick a team and just cross your fingers that Root's not in at one for none. It just yeah, puts right. pressure on it. and Root's the captain. There's a reason that's why right. Engla- England didn't open the batting and have him captain and have him keep for Alex Stewart all at the same time. They realised that it was like, that's too much pressure. Having him at number three and having him, Coming in, you know, in the first two overs with not many on the on the scoreboard and having him captain is just too much pressure on him. They've got to relieve the pressure if they want to persist with Roy. Then they've got to find someone else to bat number three, and they've got to be they've got to be reasonable, or else Root's going to be coming in at two for five or two for ten or something like that. They just, I think, they're asking too much. So they've got to make a change. And you know, if it is Denley, I mean, he did make some runs and. I don't know, but maybe it is worth if they're going to bring someone in moving Danley up the order, and then do you have sub do you have root move down to four and someone else at number three, and then you don't have to think about an opening batsman i don't know he's uh he's no less
1: susceptible to coming in early at number four for mine it's that's that's their biggest predicament there are uh, they are two down before they start any innings
0: and let's not beat around the bush. Joe Root's acting like a man who's under a lot of pressure. His body language on day three of the Test match, which wasn't necessarily a terrible day for England, uh, and you know when they were getting wickets eventually, and he was like, "Oh well, that's about time," and all that sort of stuff. It was just, it was terrible.
1: Yeah, he does look. He does look pretty sullen, and there's plenty for him to think about, even if he just focuses on himself as a batsman. The conversion rate just. Because we've got to stop talking about Smith, Coley, Williamson, Root, because Root's, Root's not in there. These other guys make hundreds for fun, and Root just can't
0: do it. Yeah, I think I think there's always one who is attempted to get bunched in. I mean, I guess 20 years ago it was Lara War, Tendulka, and, you know, there was probably someone else. I, I feel like I've probably picked on Jack Callis enough for a lifetime, but... <laughs> He got thrown in. I mean, he was a very good cricketer to all my South African followers, if I have any. All of uh, them. All of them. So, who does Australia go with in in the fourth test? Do, do we make? Do we have to get Smith back in. Who comes out?
1: Harris has gone and complicated things by making fifty fairly briskly overnight and remaining unbeaten. I, I just still, well, I still think Wade is worth persisting with through a home summer so that we can see we're not seeing a fighting dig from him, but he's coming in under pretty difficult circumstances. But when we've seen him have the opportunity to to pilot on and to really hurt a team in that first test, he went and made a hundred and it was a very good hundred.
0: So, I I didn't have him in my team at the start of the series. I was wrong, because he's made a great hundred and but I think, I mean, I'd just be about to walk away from the game if they drop Wade. Now I'd just be like, I'm done with the Australian Test team. This is ridiculous because I, th- I, I didn't think he deserved to get dropped when he got dropped when he's been dropped from the team before. He made a hundred two Tests ago. What sort of yeah. what sort of credit do you have to get in the bank to go through, you know, a couple of leading Test matches where there were where he had plenty of friends, not scoring runs.
1: The philosophy clearly at that time had changed though from your number seven having to blast runs in the style of Gilchrist to your number seven, you know, we weren't going to have another another keeper who had a strike rate of 100 and a batting average of 45. So we needed to make sure we had the best bloke behind the stumps. And that was the new philosophy, which, which, you know, that's done in for Wade. He wasn't going to, he wasn't the best keeper. He's not the best keeper in his state. So that that did him for him last time, but I'm not dropping him at number six now. Which leaves you two options: you you drop the guy who played one test and played the very very ordinary cover drive off the first ball from Jack Leach, or you drop Kawaja because Labuschagne is a looks like a test number three. So I don't know. in in, in myself, I don't think Harris is ready yet. I would I would promote Kawaja to open the batting with Warner and bat Larbashane at three and Smith at four. That's what uh, I would do and I'm calling it now, but I don't
0: think that's gonna happen. I it's what I do as well and I know he's a bit of a tease, but Kawaja has developed this unerring habit of scoring runs when he needs to to keep his spot in the team. Um yeah. it's, a, it's a pretty handy habit to have. Um, especially when you're, that you need to stay inside coincides with the team desperately needs runs. So Warner and He's Kawaja's had- style, they 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 uh, they are different styles, so they complement each other. The only problem with the two of them, and it's the same problem with Harris, is they're both left-handers.
1: Yeah, I mean Kawaja has also got this extraordinary
0: twelve months with the bat
1: when Smith and Warner couldn't be picked in the pajamas and in the test side that that hundred he made against the spinning ball in the UAE uh, in the fourth innings was extraordinary and saved the test match we had no right to save when no one gave us stuff about the, the, the test team anymore that was a, that was a brilliant hundred and then opening the batting uh, with Finch through that five match series in in Pakistan and and even a couple of wins in India he made a lot of runs. He made
0: a pile of runs. He doesn't mind opening the batting. Yeah. And, I mean, there is one historical cricketer who Kawaja reminds me of a lot, and it's David Gower. David Gower had one of the worst traits you could ever possibly have as a test cricketer, which was he had a world-class propensity to get out right before a break. He 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 would just continually get out before lunch, tea or stumps, or right before drinks. And there's a very good – there's a very famous video on YouTube if you look it up of him of him just getting absolutely suckered into one at in Adelaide in the 1990, 1991 Ashes and Graham Boots almost killing him at the other end. England <laughs> never dropped him because they knew he was class. He would have – if he came in the first over a session, he'd have 70 and then he'd get out in the last session. And Kawaja's, I don't think, as good a cricketer as David Gow, but they're both elegant, classy cricketers who can score runs like – it's no work whatsoever. Kawaji yeah. gets, it's 140, 150, and the match is changing from number three. This is what, this is what Australian number threes are supposed to do in that situation. You know, two very famous Tasmanian number threes. Um, David Boone somehow gets his reputation as being, and I mean, not saying so he wasn't, but he's got, yeah. You know, David Boone was tough. He came in number three, he wore the new ball and all that sort of stuff. He was a, Expansive, dashing batsman, one of the greatest cutters of all time, an incredible driver, right, right from like from square on the offside to mid wicket, and you look at his hundreds, and they're big hundreds, you know? yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think your my my assessment is exactly the same as yours. As you leave Harris out. You move Kawaja away open the batting, you bat Labuschagne at three, and you you almost roll the dice with your best six batsmen you've got in the squad. And if you're going to drop, in a one- vote
1: of confidence, Kawaja's captaining the tour game, and so, and I read another stat that said that since he's been given his his right whack and been allowed to stay consistently in the team, he's averaging forty four point six five or something like that. You'd be hard pressed to find too many other than Smith with those kind of numbers, and so. Harris might have his day. I think it's. I think he's loose at the minute, mentally more than anything. And I, yeah, I think I think that's my side. I hope I hope that's the way they go.
0: I think Harris would have had the spot in the team wrapped up if he had managed to get a hundred in, in the Australian summer. He had a decent cricket and couldn't get over the hump, and that's. We talk about results, and in Australian cricket, you have got to make hundreds, and blokes have been dropped. Uh, for going two or three test matches without we 100, we're talking about Wade being in trouble despite the fact he made a test match test, test 100 what seems like last week. Harris hasn't kicked on, and you know, he goes away and makes a ton of runs in the Sheffield Shield. Hopefully, his chance will come again if he deserves it, but yeah, I. I, I, I tend to think if you're going to leave Wade out at number six, you'd leave him out for Mitch Marsh because you don't have enough bowling. And I think they do have enough bowling. I just think you've got to use it a little bit. You've got to maybe, in certain circumstances, you've got a bit of part-time skill there in that top six in terms of the ball. So,
1: And Labashane's not- better than we thought he was. And so <laughs> we're coming into the series, we thought it was Wade v Labashane for six. It's actually that Shane is showing all the fighting qualities of a Test number three, despite being picked there with a first class average in the high twenties. I'm pretty sure when he got picked in Australia, he looks like every bit a Test number three. That's been an extraordinary series from him since Smith went down.
0: I'd be I'd be saying to Manus, you know, do a half hour in the nets every day on the on the leggies. Just keep keep working at it. That's a huge. Still a huge skill and a huge upside, I mean, in terms of test cricket, in terms of being able to get people out with league spin. And there are still half the test teams in the world who just don't want any part of facing league spin. The one we're playing against included. Very much so. So, Absolutely. So what do you think happens in the last two test matches? Do you think Australia get a victory at uh, Old Trafford or the Oval?
1: Yeah. I do now, not with, not with a great deal of confidence, but you, I don't know, it's so, I, I I sort of believe in the spirituality of sport and the, you know, like the, that positivity is fairly massive and it could break you. A result like that could break you, but the response from the camp, I think, is positive. There's enough people there. I, Peter Siddle is just so grateful to be playing cricket right now and he's played brilliantly. The two test matches that he played, he led that attack. I think other bowlers bowl well when Peter Siddles in the team. And and he bowled one of the best Nunfers on that last day uh, in the first test that, that I can remember. Um, but he's such a positive person to have around the team. Lava Shane, similar. We get Steve Smith back. There's It could kill you. A result like that could kill you, but if, if the right people are around this tour, then it won't. And England have- they're fragile. You're not going to have Stokes come off like that every single time he walks out there. So I do. I, I think we get a result somewhere.
0: Um, if, if this is a typical Old Trafford deck and Australia win the toss and bat, England are in enormous trouble, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. And, and
1: you know, I always remember that Malthouse after the John Grand Final, and sorry to bring it up, but he went to that dinner that we had that night, which was we were going to have whether, you know, win-loss or, as it turned out, draw. So this, said is, if we, this is the draw, yeah. Yeah, and he said, if we treat this like a loss, it will be. And if we treat this as an opportunity, it will be. And so, yes, we lost the test match, but the series is all square and we only have to win a game here out of two. So it's, it's a great position to be in. We would have taken 1-1 one, one after three tests coming in, mark my words.
0: Okay, you've turned me around. I'm going to say this: there's still a little part of me which doesn't want to hand myself all the way back over to the Australian cricket team because, you know, they were Australia's team, and the stuff that happened last year made me, you know, feel like. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, there's just about nothing worse you can do than tamper with the ball. I was very much of the opinion that, you know, they're gonna, it's going to take a little while for them to win me back. If they were to win the next test. And, you know, I, you know in, in that way, you know, bowl them out, you know, on, on the fourth innings to win after what had happened uh, last week. I think, I, I just think I'd be, I'd be ready to embrace them again. I mean, I've been critical of Tim Payne. I don't want to see him fail. And there are people who say they support teams, whether they're football teams or cricket teams, who are so critical of people, you just have to say, of specific people, you have to think to yourself, well, do you actually enjoy being critical? Do you actually want them to fail? I don't want Tim Pay to fail. He's the captain of the Australian cricket team. Yeah, uh, I just think it would be it would be an a tremendous result for this team to from here to win one of the last two Test matches to retain the Ashes, and it would be the beginning. It would be the beginning of
1: something. I think definitely. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they've brought back all the Pete like they. I don't know, besides the cricketers themselves who were responsible for it, the, the dressing room's changed completely. Guys like Ponting are floating around again. Steve Waugh's been over there. Justin Langer is, as far as we know, a bloke of extreme quality. And I think he and Tim Payne have forged something really great. And, we're, you know, we're, traditionally we're pretty fickle and we, we don't mind a, a comeback story in general as, as the sporting, you know, public... But you're right, this would be a a dramatic result. And to beat the team who'd won the World Cup and like, I don't know, to me this is all about cricket because we haven't had time to really fall in love with any of these cricketers and because the ones who we could rely on were at the forefront of this scandal. This is just about barracking for Australia against England. And they've got enough villains and um, we might be forging
0: some heroes. Absolutely. We hope for an encouraging, inspirational performance from the Australian cricket team next week. And hopefully, the little urn is at least metaphorically coming back to Australia in Australian hands. Cameron, thanks for joining me. You're going to come back next week and we're going to talk about the footy finals and the season that's just happened. We're totally not going to talk about the totally not going to talk about the confected scandal that was Patrick Dangerfield not being eligible to win the MVP. Although I could do, <laughs> I could do a good hour on why Australian football doesn't understand the meaning of the word valuable.
1: Uh, <laughs> we could probably do an hour on just Geelong stuff, couldn't we? I mean, I know Collingwood's about to play Geelong, but uh, I'm loving all the whinging they're doing about not playing in Geelong. It's, fantastic. As a precursor to next week's episode, where I won't mention that at all, I'm just, I'm getting so much joy out
0: of it as a Collingwood supporter. Uh, uh, Pendle's uh, comment on Wednesday, poking the bell, oh, I'm glad I don't have to drive down in the Geelong road. Oh, I was not looking forward to that. That was just <laughs> tremendous. Anyway, we'll chat We'll chat then. All the best. Thanks, Cam. Look forward to it, partner. See you, mate. No worries. This has been It Should Go Without Saying. We will see you
1: next time.